it went straight down the middle. Then it started to hook. Um, and of course, like I said, when you're young, you just don't know what to do. And you, tr- you learn how to travel. I remember traveling with my caddy once in a while in the car. He would drive and I would sleep. Um, and that was when we had a long, long event or long uh, uh, drive to the next place tournament. Another. It was too far to. Uh, and, and sometimes it was hard to to um, connect with airlines. It was so expensive. So I ended up driving with Roscoe a few times, and um, we did that. And of course, we had um, um, we had the um, uh, what do you call those? Oh gosh, I went totally blank. Uh, CB radios. Oh yeah, yeah. What was your, yeah. what was your handle? What was, My what was handle your handle? Was Jive Cookie and Jive Cookie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I just thought of that. Ten four, good um, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Keep it on the double nickel. Back then it was 55. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. So I got to travel. Um, I remember uh, representing Ford and they gave me a Thunderbird to drive and uh, Roscoe burnt holes in it from smoking cigarettes when he was driving my car. I mean, I was like, really? <laughs> you know, I'm That was to- one of the times you fired him. <laughs> <laughs> probably was. Um, but, you know, traveling on tour and really learning your way. Um learning that the players really didn't like you if you beat them a lot. Um, you know, I didn't have, I didn't feel like I had uh, any really close friends that first few years. And you know, what was a shame though, to me, um, I was judged by winning um, those first couple years um, because what happens, and I don't think people think about this when I was winning, I never was in the locker room when the players were there, I would play tee off Um and I was winning a lot. And so I was in the press room a lot. Um, and even finishing second, you know, you're in the press room. So I'm in the press room after I finished playing right to the press room. When I was done in the press room, I had to go practice. So I'd go practice. And then by the time I got to the locker room, there's hardly any players. No, really. So there was a, there was kind of the, you know, the players thought, I think a few thought I was stuck up, that I wasn't involved with the LPGA tour. And that really kind of hurt my feelings because it it just really wasn't my fault. I felt like, um, you know, I just didn't get to know them the, the first few years because I was always busy doing something else, either promoting the LPGA or doing something for the LPGA or in the press room or trying to practice. Um, and then I got to know the players when I wasn't winning as much. I was in the locker room more and I got to meet the players and really sit down and talk to them um, because it really was tough those first couple of years. I didn't get to know my fellow professionals because I was always doing something. Um, and, you know, I'm glad I did a lot of that stuff for the LPGA and, and for whatever reason I had to. But um, it was it was really kind of sad, I think, because I, I know that the press tried to create um, something that wasn't there. Um, they would say things like some players would say, oh, we hope she breaks her leg and things like that. And then <laughs> they would print it. And I think they just wanted yeah. there to be some competition that, that went on. Um, but you know, I I did I it did hurt my feelings, but I just kept thinking that maybe it wasn't really true. Um, and then there was a, a big rival that they they tried to start with Joanne Carner and I because Joanne Carner and I were against each played against each other many times, and like I said, she was my idol. And and when I played her, I wanted to beat her because I wanted her to see how good I was, and I wanted yeah. to impress her. Um, but I always tell this story about Joanne Carner because um, she was such a great champion and really a great role model for me. Um, but we were at Waikagil right outside of New York and 
she and she we played with each other you know we kind of tease each other and on saturday um i did not uh play well enough to get into the last group that was kind of my goal because i knew she was going to probably be in that last group and on saturday i was gonna, knowing i was going to play in the group in front of her on sunday on saturday she said oh, i'm just going to leave nancy in the dust and I knew she was joking. It was just kind of a, you know, she just ribbing me on. And so on Sunday when I woke up, I said, you know, I'm going to use that to really motivate me that, yeah, she's not going to leave me in the dust. So we tee off on Sunday. I'm in front of her and, and the people at Waikago, great crowds. They were rooting for both Joanne and I, cause they loved Joanne and they loved me. And so we were, they were really wanted to see a, a good fight to the finish. So, I remember the first hole is a par five and I could reach that one in two and I ended up birdieing it and um, the crowd went crazy. And so I, I kind of turned around to see if, if Joanne saw it. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was like that all day. Then I could hear a roar and I knew it was Joanne made the birdie. And so we'd go on, I'd make a birdie and I'd kind of turn around again, see if, see if she saw it. And, <laughs> and so it went on all day long like that. I'd make a birdie, they'd roar. She'd make a birdie, they'd roar. Well, I ended up shooting 65 on a golf course that was just, I thought, really tough. And I never thought about shooting 65. But as you're playing, you, you, for me, I never kept my score. So I really didn't know I was shooting 65. But I made so many birdies that day. And she made so many birdies that day, but I ended up beating Joanne. And when we were finished, she came up to me and she was, she was great. She goes, well, I guess I'm never going to say that I'm going to leave you in the dust. Leave in the dust again. <laughs> yeah, nothing like a little motivation. <laughs> yeah, it was. So Nancy, that, that same year, there was a particular lady that was on the LPGA tour that, that was quoted as saying something about you. Do you remember who it was and what she said? Mm, I don't. Okay. Judy Rankin said that year, they've got the wrong person playing Wonder Woman on TV. <laughs> I remember that name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Judy Rankin was one of my competitors. She was a she's she was pretty much phasing out though a little bit. She played a few years while I was on tour. Um, great competitor. Um, I remember playing with her. She was a little bit hard on her, hard on herself because she wanted to be great. I mean, that's okay. And, um, I remember her husband, um, Yippie, who would follow her around. And, um, it, you look back on those times and it was just, I mean, I was really lucky to play with people like Ju Judy Rankin and Donna Capone and, uh, you know, there's another story. I ended up, um, I won the Coca-Cola Classic and I beat Mickey Wright, which, you know, she was, we don't know why she came back out to play because last year or this year, they had that tournament, the Coca-Cola Classic at Upper Montclair when I won it, but they went back to Upper Montclair this year, the LPGA did. And so I went back and the press asked me about that win. Um, beating Mickey Wright. We couldn't figure out why she had gone there, why she was playing. And we were in a six-person playoff with Mickey Wright. And the first hole is a par three that we were playing off on. We Everybody drew straws and 
Mickey was the first person to hit the shine into this par three, and she hits it up there about three feet from the pin. And I kind of looked at everybody. So, well, good luck, everybody. <laughs> Get yeah. closer than that. Because it was a tough green. It had a big undulation right to left, um, front to back. And everybody hit their shots. I hit my shot about 25 feet right of the pin. So there's a huge right to left break. Um, everybody ended up parring. And I was the last one that could tie Mickey uh, to go on to the next hole. So... I make this long 25 right to left foot putt. And now it being a tournament, she hadn't won for a while. She stood over that three footer and I know she felt like it was a six footer. Uh, I could see the nerves. Um, She ended up making it. And so Mickey and I go to the next hole, number 17 um, by ourselves. And she could hit the ball. I mean, I hit it long, but she could out hit me and she wore tennis shoes. Uh, when she did it, she could hit it and she had a beautiful golf swing. So we go to the 17th hole where earlier that day, um, I had missed a birdie putt. I hit my second shot earlier that day, probably about eight feet above the hole and I misread it. So I'm playing with Mickey. I hit my drive in the fairway. She had her drive in the fairway. She outdrove me. I hit my second shot in the same place that I did in regulation that morning. Same spot. I had the seven, eight footer from the same spot. So I knew what it was going to do. I knew the break. I misread it earlier that day, but I knew what it was going to do. And I ended up birdieing that hole and beating Mickey Wright in that tournament. And for me to beat her was, I mean, just an honor, first of all. But I remember when we were on the, on the green when they were presenting me with the trophy. And I really remember feeling sorry for her that I beat her or feeling bad, not really feeling sorry for her, but just feeling bad that I beat Mickey Wright and probably the last tournament she would have ever won. And then I kind of joke and say, well, that only took a few seconds because then I was happy that I beat her because she, <laughs> she was such a great player. And I just, I mean, I just admired her. And, and like I said, she was just um, such a, a great competitor, uh, a great spirit and just a great golfer. So that was a feather in my cap in my career to be able to beat one of the best. Speaking of Mickey Wright, and this has to be for me one of the greatest quotes I've ever heard. Of course, it pertains to you. Mickey's involved. You've probably heard it. But as we were talking to Kathy Whitworth, I remember her talking about this in terms of the history of the LPGA Tour. She said, you know, she said, Mickey Wright was our Ben Hogan, but Nancy Lopez was our Arnold Palmer. (laughs) Yeah. that was nice of Kathy to say that. Um, love Kathy Whitworth. Um, she was, I think we were talking about this the other day. She was, um, uh, you know, she was a great champion. Uh, I played with her quite a few times. Great short game. Um, I grew up playing golf with her mom and her aunt in the state of New Mexico, which we figured out she's not from New Mexico, but she was raised in Jowl, New Mexico which we were always trying to fight to to claim Kathy because she was such a great champion. But um, but I played in the Women's State Amateur with her mom and her aunt, and they were good players. Um, and I, I said the other day, too, that really Kathy looked more like her aunt than she did her mother. That's how much she favored her aunt. Um, but, yeah, Kathy Whitworth. And then she was the captain. She was my captain in the first Solheim Cup at Lake Nona outside of Orlando. 
uh, first Hauling Cup in 1990, um, and she was our captain, and she was she was just great. And of course, when you play in your first Solheim Cup in 1990, nobody really knows what's going on because the, the fans hadn't connected with it yet. I always kind of joke it was just family and friends that were there, and. When you're playing for your country, the nerves, you feel, I feel more nervous playing for my country than I did playing just for an LPGA trophy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're, we're, we're at that tournament and uh, at the Solheim Cup, and uh, Kathy puts me and Pat Bradley together in the first match, which was against Laura Davies and Allison Nicholas. And we're on the first tee, and we're both nervous. And Pat had already won probably 14 tournaments. I probably won about 12. And so we're on that first tee, and um, I look over at Pat, and I said, how are you feeling? She goes, I I feel nervous. She said, how are you feeling? I said, I feel nervous. I said, do you want to hit? No, you hit. No, you go ahead and hit. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, And as you play the Solheim Cup, now, you know, their strategy. Well, that was our strategy. We didn't know what to <laughs> yeah. do. So um, <laughs> we ended up winning that first match in, in, the, in the first Solheim Cup. And I wish I would have hit the first shot because then I could say that was, you know, the first shot, yeah. the first Solheim Cup, and, and being in the first match. Yeah. So there was a lot of pressure there to win. Uh, and the, uh, the U.S. team was way better at that time than the European team. I think we won like... 14 to three and a half. I'm, I can't remember the scores, but we killed them. Now it's really, really tough. Right. Solon yeah. Cup is, is really tough. Then I ended up captaining in 2005. And then I was junior Solheim Cup captain in 2009. So the pressure of being captain was just as bad. I mean, you know, you're a captain of a U.S. team and your team's got to win. I mean, I, I didn't want our team to lose. Um, and so I worked really hard those two years to be captain in 2005. And I had a, an awesome team. Um, we ended up winning. But I, I wrote down the names because I didn't want to forget if, I, if it came up. But I had Christy Kerr, Beth Daniel, Meg Mallon, Julie Inkster, Rosie Jones, Natalie Gulbis, Paula Creamer, Laura Diaz, Christina Kim, Michelle Redman, Wendy Ward, and Pat Hurst. So I had a great team. Yeah. And, you know, the thing about Solheim Cup, you've got to bring 12 women together as team members. And yeah. because we were such individual players on the LPG tour. And it was to me, the question has always been asked to me, what was my favorite win? And it was being captain of the Solheim Cup. That was my favorite win on the LPG tour. Um, to be the captain of these great champions and great players and to be able to win was just a, a feather in my cap for sure um, to be able to to bring a U.S. team to, to victory against the Europeans, which they are tough. And, you know, you don't mess around with them too much anymore because they're yeah. beating us right now. And we got to get that cut back. Yeah. We're going to Spain this year so or next year. So I'm looking forward to getting that cut back from them. Yeah, that was at the Crooked Stick in 2005. Laura Davies was still on the team. She actually had 12 consecutive appearances, with the final one being in 2011. She was just a constant presence there, wasn't she? Yeah, she, Laura Davies is one of my favorites. I, I love her. She is a great competitor. And, you know, even now, I think she is playing better even now than she did back then. Her short game, um, her confidence levels better than it used to be. And, um, just one of my favorites. I, you know, always, always rooted for the American coming down the 18 on the 18th uh, fairway coming in 
to finish. But when they're playing against Laura, I don't know who to root for because she's really one of my favorites. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So to put that uh, that quote that I mentioned of Kathy Whitworth's in context, uh, and you can help us with this, you know, if you take our listeners back to the 1970s, that decade started with purses for the LPGA of about uh, 435000 for that year, 1970. And then the fellow that uh, that you mentioned, uh, David Foster, comes on the scene, Colgate, Palmolive, and, and the sponsorships begin to emerge. Uh, television begins to emerge. Some great players come on the scene. And, and uh, really, that decade, uh, probably purses were a little bit more than 10 times that in 1980. Well, you've just come on the scene, won nine times your first year, and so in terms of the presence that Nancy Lopez was, most of our listeners probably couldn't begin to imagine what your life turned into. Hear that? That's the sound of a walk-off albatross, a two on a par five to win a two-day golf tournament. That shot happened to me. One in 600 million odds. Since then, people call me Albie. Now, I've told this story so often, my friends can't take it. I'm pretty sure my wife, next time I tell her, she's going to leave me. So I decided to start a podcast to tell the entire world about it because it deserves it. It's the craziest shot you've never heard of. And guess what? There's tons more stories like this all around golf. And that's what our podcast is all about. Join me and my fellow degenerates, Pan and Shepard as we dive into them. Insane bets, crazy what-if scenarios, and all the you-had-to-be-there type moments in golf. Find us wherever you get your podcast. Did I tell you about Malbatross? Um, I became a celebrity <laughs> that, that first year. Um, you know, winning and I was doing all kinds of interviews. I was on uh, all kinds of talk shows. Um, and just, um, it was a whirlwind and I had to grow up pretty, pretty quickly. Here was a 19, 20 year old that had to become a 30 year old in, in a time when that just didn't happen. Um, I had to learn how to handle the press, um, how to answer questions. And, you know, you still had to be politically correct. Um, you didn't want to, you know, if, if the golf course, cause back, I'm telling you that rookie year, we played on some golf course that were in terrible shape. And I remember saying, gosh, is this is this the LPGA tour? Because we played better courses when we were in the U, uh, playing in the USGA, the Western Junior. You know, it was just amazing. The, the quality of the golf courses weren't even really good that my rookie year. So you have the LPGA playing on courses that just weren't great golf courses. But when you're in that press room, you never said that. You just yeah. said, I know they've had a tough year. You know, I know the one, they want the golf course to be in a little bit better shape, but it's okay. It's fine. Um, and and so, you you know, I had to really figure out how to do it on my own. I mean, I had my dad, but, you know, and I'd call him when he wasn't at golf tournaments, but I was pretty much, I stayed by myself. And, um, you know, I had to learn a lot of stuff on my own. Um, I had friends like Donna Capone was a good friend of mine and, uh, uh Joanne Washam was a good friend of mine, played, played golf and practice with them. Um, and, you know, when I signed up to play practice rounds, I always kept in mind what my dad told me, like I said earlier, you, you have to play with the better players to be a better player. So I would, you know, I'd go to the sign-up sheet and I'd put myself in there with uh, Pat Bradley or, you know, all these great players that were really playing great during that time. And Karner, 
um, you know, Whitworth, any of them. I just signed myself up with them because I knew I was going to learn a lot from them. Um, yeah. and, and, and I was going to get better by playing with them. So, you know, the, just I had to pretty much grow up on my own out there and learn things on my own. Um, Roscoe was a great caddy, even though I fired him nine times. He kind of helped me through that that procedure of learning the ropes on the tour. You know, who who he thought I should hang out with, who I shouldn't hang out with, if they were negative or whatever. He just kind of guided me along um, on the tour and what I needed to do and what I needed to to think about. Um, so Roscoe was really my probably my best friend, even though I fired him nine times. <laughs> 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 um, like he was like a brother. I mean, he was just that caddy. And I have to give him credit. He's not alive anymore, but I have to get him, give him credit that he was a caddy that let me be who I was going to be. Um, he let me figure out what um, my limits were on the golf course. If I was going to go for a par five and two and there was water, I, he let me figure it out. Um, he did. He let me learn my limits. He was not a caddy that was worried about losing money if I made a double bogey on one hole because there are caddies that I think, you know, would talk you out of something because they didn't yeah. want to lose, want you to mess up enough to lose some money. Um, but he didn't care about money. He He just wanted me to play the best I could. And he was... Definitely the caddy that that just let me go and helped me to to really play great golf and and um, I, I never feared anything. I went for I was a I like to go for the pin, unless it was just a, a stupid thing to do. I didn't do it, but I I knew my I I knew the I knew the curve of my ball. I knew what it was going to do. I, I I knew how the shot was going to happen, um, and so I always went for the pin. That's why I made a lot of birdies because uh, I was always going for the pin. I was not afraid to do that. And he mm. was not afraid for me to do it. So I think Roscoe was really uh, another reason I was successful my rookie year because he was, you know, that steadfast caddy that was with me and, and supported me and encouraged me as much as my dad did. So, Nancy, let's talk about major championship win number one in that rookie season, which came at the LPGA Championship. You must have liked the Nicholas uh, course, the Grizzly course, uh, you won by six over our guest from last week, Amy Alcott. <laughs> That's right. I remember that. Um, I The thing about Kings Island, that course just suited my eye. And, and I was long. And that course wasn't as long as it could have been. Um, and I putted great. Um, I, was, I, I went it there three times. And the one I remember the most... Um, and I can't remember if that was the one that it happened at the first one that I won, but I got penalized two shots for slow play. And I shot my career score was 63 and I shot it that day and they gave me a two shot penalty for slow play. Now, can you figure that out? Um, so that second um, round 65 <laughs> included a two stroke slow play. Play penalty. There, yeah. That, that was Say it. that three times real fast. <laughs> yeah. Um, it happened on, I think, Friday. And um, like I said, I play with two players that both shot 78 78. And they were shocked when I got the two shot penalty. It was on the, it was on the front side. We started on the back side. So. It was on the front side on the number eight holes, a par three, uh, tough hole. Wind was blowing 
hard that day. I had just birdied the hole before. I just stuck it up there close. The two players were chipping and they made bogey. So I'm first player to hit on that my 17th hole, but it was the eighth hole of the front side. And I my caddy gave me my yardage. I went and got my club out of the bag. There were timiness because we had gotten behind and um, got my club. I decided I didn't have the right club. So I went back and I changed clubs and they said it took me, I don't know, 82 seconds or 62 seconds to hit that shot. And when I finished that hole, they gave me a two shot penalty for slow play. And the two other two players were like shocked and and I was mm. they back then the LPJ didn't know for sure how to do the slow play rule, yeah. and we had fallen behind the group in front of us, so it was more of total time at that time. And I, you know, I just couldn't believe it. So after I shot my that was like my best score of my career, sixty three. They gave me that two shot penalty. Sixty four became ended up being the best score of my career, but sixty three was my best score at that tournament and would have been my best score of my career without the two shot penalty. Well, I go into the press room. Of course, I'm, I, I was really, I was really mad and, 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 you know, I just didn't get mad. <laughs> so I'm in the tent and I didn't want to sign my scorecard. And I remember the LPJ said, you have to sign your scorecard because if you walk out of the tent, you're disqualified. And I was like, well, we need to call PJ Boatwright. I don't know if you know, remember PJ oh, Bruce. Sure. Yeah, oh, I do. Yeah. yeah with the USGA, I said, we need to call him and talk about this rule because you all have no clue about slow play, why you would penalize me for the one shot that I hit after the other players are hitting it 78 times. And you're telling me that I'm the one that made us finish behind the group in front of us. I don't think so. So that was a big deal. I mean, the press was, they were mad. They couldn't believe they'd give me that two shot penalty. Um, it was written up in the paper the next day, and it was it was just a real controversial thing that happened. Well, like it, like I usually do, I'm, I I said to myself, you know, I'm going to use this to motivate me, and I ended up winning the golf tournament <laughs> by five or six shots, whatever that was. But um, I was just devastated by that at that time in my career, and and I felt like they were trying to uh, use me as um, an example for the slow play rule. Mm-hmm. And it was just, so, I felt very unfair considering, you know, what the other players are shooting and, and, and their reason that we finished 20 minutes behind the group in front of us, which did not make sense to me at all. So uh, LPGA championship though at Kings Island, it was just one of my favorite golf courses. I played it well. The wind always blew it. It, it wasn't the toughest golf course we played, but it was a hard golf course. And when the wind blew, which was pretty much consistently blowing, it was tough. So just for our listeners, uh, talking about the 1978 LPGA Championship that Nancy won for her first major, uh, that was her sixth win that year alone in her rookie year. It was the fourth straight week she had won. There had only been a few others that had won four straight, uh, including Mickey Wright, Kathy Whitworth, Shirley Inglehorn, which is a pretty good list right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it was the first year of 12 straight that they contested this championship on that golf course. Oh, what was it? <laughs> yeah, they had the, the LPGA championship on that golf course 12 straight years. This was the first year they had it there. 
Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. So you talked about liking the golf course. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I, I I do remember one of my other wins there. I beat Ayako Okamoto. And um, Ayako was a great friend of mine, I felt like. Um, great player. Um, it was kind of tough beating her because I don't know if she ever won a major. But I know at that tournament, the year I beat her in the LPGA Championship, um, the you know she was a rock star in Japan, and and the Japanese uh, people were really tough on her because it was like, okay, you can't win a major. Why why can't you win a major? So I almost felt bad beating her because we were head to head most of that tournament, and I ended up beating her. But um, she uh, was a great player. Um, she's back in Japan. I saw her. Uh, a few years ago, she can't speak English anymore, which was really sad. Um, but I remember the story I remember about Ayako um, when I when Ashley, my oldest, was young. Um, you know, kids always pick up names that they like, and and I remember coming home after playing golf and in, in or coming back to the hotel, and Ashley uh, asked me. How did Ayaka Okamoto play? And I'm like, what? <laughs> you said, well, what? What? She says, Ayaka Okamoto. She likes saying Ayako's name. Yeah. yeah. And I said, well, I, I'm not sure how she played, but shouldn't you ask your mom how she played? <laughs> <laughs> and I told Ayako that story that Ashley at a very young age asked how she played. I told her right. Like as soon as it happened, that same week of the tournament and um, Ayako sent Ashley, these head covers, Japanese head covers. And when you push, push, there's a little uh, butt inside of it. When you push it, it goes nice shawl. (laughs) Nice shawl. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to another episode of For the Good of the Game. And please, wherever you listen to your podcast on Apple and Spotify, if you like what you hear, please subscribe, spread the word, and tell your friends. Until we tee it up again, for the good of the game, so long, everybody. Whack down the fairway. It went smack down the fairway. Then it started to slice just a smidge off line. It headed for two, but it bounced off nine. My caddy says, long as you're still in the state, you're okay. Yes, it went straight down the middle. Quiet away.